We're in the midst of a sermon series called Church Without Walls. We're over halfway through the book of Acts, and what we've been doing is examining the life of the early church. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are biographies of the life of Jesus. Acts picks up the story when Jesus ascends, returns to heaven, and the Holy Spirit of God is poured out on Jesus' followers, those who've committed to the way of Christ. And so our story in Acts picks up following this new church, these disciples, these followers of God, who've been filled with the very Holy Spirit of God. Um, and, 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 and to kind of skip to where we are right now, we've been following a man by the name of Paul, who had a pretty radical conversion experience, once was a persecutor of the early church, and now is one of the primary spokespeople for the church. Paul, we've seen, has been making the rounds. He's uh, in our passage today, he's finishing his second journey around the known uh, world, around the Roman Empire, as he seeks to establish churches, proclaim the gospel, demonstrate the kingdom of God. He's done this twice now. In our passage, he returns home, and then he starts in on his third trip. You could kind of miss that because it's just a short little piece in our passage. And I'm not going to talk about Paul hardly at all today. So I, I just want you to kind of be clued into the bigger story where we've been. I'm going to focus in on, instead on two different people. And, and let me go ahead and read this passage, Acts chapter 18. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up to, to uh, Pastor Michael's passage last week and just read the first three verses of chapter 18 and then skip ahead to verses 18 through 28. Do we have a slide for these, these passages? We don't. Excuse me, we don't. Okay, here we go. Acts chapter 18, first three verses. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as, he, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Claudius, oh, look, we do. Nice. Claudius was the emperor was the Caesar of Rome at this time. So whatever he says, go. Skip ahead to verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centuria because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul sent, set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and this other word. Can I, can I just say some? When pastors just read words that you don't know how to pronounce and they act like they know how to pronounce them, most of the time we don't know how to pronounce them either. We're just blowing smoke. So however you'd want to pronounce that one. Uh, uh, Travel throughout the region, strengthening all of the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the ways of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Acacia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Let's go ahead and put up the map there if we have that. Let me give you just a little bit of background to our story today. This is a map of the Roman Empire circa the time of this story. Um, and, and these three lines, these three arrows here, roughly trace the story of our two main characters today, Priscilla and Aquila. They had, they had lived in Rome probably for most of their lives, but like I said, when the emperor said that all the Jews had to leave, well, they had to leave because they were Jewish. Um, we don't know a lot about why they had to leave. There, there's some uh, uh, ancient historians who kind of try to make sense of, of what was going on here. But what we know, the long and short of it was, if you were a Jew, you were exiled from Rome. And so Priscilla and Aquila, who had owned a business in Rome, most likely, now had to flee. They were now refugees, and they went to Corinth. So that's kind of the first line there. Why Corinth? We've talked before uh, here on Sunday mornings, that Corinth was a major metropolis in the ancient world. 
One, one scholar says that in many ways, Corinth was more Rome than Rome was. Center of commerce, trade, entertainment, religion. So in a sense, it makes sense. In a sense, it makes sense. It makes sense that Priscilla and Aquila went to Corinth. It, it was a city that may have felt familiar to them after having lived in what was the center of the Roman Empire. And so they go to Corinth and they set up their business there and, uh, and they meet a guy named Paul. Pastor Michael talked a little bit about this last week. Now we don't know if Priscilla and Aquila were Christians or not when they met Paul, but at some point in their journey, they came to faith in Christ. They came to confess Jesus Christ as their Lord, as the one who they would submit their lives to. And so they, they hire Paul. Maybe they made him a partner in their business. We don't know. But we know that they invited Paul in. They gave him work and spent a significant amount of time together in Corinth. Well, then Paul decides that he's going to go on to Ephesus, and he invites Priscilla and Aquila to join him, and they do. So they probably sold their business, or, or maybe more likely they hired a manager to manage their business, and they moved to Ephesus with Paul, where, again, it's very likely that they established a third business. In Ephesus, again, a, a major city, um, uh, tons of, of, of religious worship, uh, again, center of commerce for that area of the world. They probably would have felt fairly at home in Ephesus. But you'll notice from the slide that now they're even further away from where they started. They're not moving back towards home. They're moving further away from Rome. Paul then leaves for Caesarea, but Priscilla and Aquila, they stay in Ephesus for a time at least. And it's here that they meet a man named Apollos, who they, they take under their wing. They disciple, they mentor him, and then they commission him. They send him off to continue the work of Jesus. Now, here's the thing that we don't see in our text today, but we learn from the book of Romans is that Priscilla and Aquila end up going back home. They actually are able to return to Rome. We don't know the exact timeline, but their whole adventure on this slide here takes place in less than 10 years. In less than a decade, they're forced to be refugees, forced to flee to uh, a new city, establish a new business, move on to another city, establish another business, and finally are allowed to return home to Rome. It's, 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 a, it's a crazy 10 years, less than 10 years. Uh, some amazing things happened. And so I want to spend our time looking at these two individuals, this married couple, and see what it is that we can learn about the gospel through their lives. Our sermon title this morning is Ordinary People, Extraordinary Gospel. Ordinary People, Extraordinary Gospel. Turn to your neighbor, say, Ordinary People. Say, Extraordinary Gospel. I need you to hang on to those two words today. We, we've so far in Acts, we've encountered mostly giants of the Christian faith, superheroes of the Christian faith, people like Peter and Paul. These are the big guns. The, the, these, these, these are the spiritual giants. And, and I'm inspired by their lives. The, the way that, that the gospel worked in them and through them is unbelievable. But the reality is they, they feel way out of reach for me. Do you know what I mean? It's like their lives are so amazing that it feels like I, I could never be a Paul, a Peter. I mean, so today we, we would talk about a Mother Teresa. Who, who among us would dare to say, yeah, I will, I'm going to be, I can relate to Mother Ter uh, Teresa. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, I can, he's amazing what God has accomplished through him. Unbelievable. But uh, can't really relate. And so I wonder if this is why Paul includes the stories of Priscilla and Aquila in Acts, because they are ordinary. And I, at least, can relate to ordinary. I, I can imagine having dinner with Priscilla and Aquila. I can imagine going to their shop and purchasing something, having a conversation with them on the corner. Paul? Man, I'd just be freaked out by that dude. But Priscilla and Aquila, ordinary. I, I'm ordinary. I'm very, I can relate to ordinary. So I wonder if this isn't why Paul, or excuse me, Luke includes their story. See, there's, there's a couple dangers when we only look to the spiritual giants of the Christian faith. 
There's a couple of dangers. First, we can underestimate what God has done in our own lives. Because we look at a Paul, we look at a Peter, we look at a Mother Teresa, and and we see what God has done through them, and we're amazed by it, and so we miss what God has done in us. Because, well, many of our lives are are just not that spectacular. (laughs) Let's be honest. And so if we focus only on the giants of the faith, you and I can overlook the fact that God is at work in your life, in my life right now. The second thing is when we get so enamored with the giants of the faith, we can miss the gospel opportunities all around us. I, I grew up in the church, and, uh, and so I, I have plenty of memories of, of people giving testimonies. Anybody grow up in churches where you gave testimonies or people gave testimonies? So like somebody who came to Christ would then come and, and then they would usually stand up on the stage and they would tell their story. Did, did you have this experience? Did you ever have this? And, and, and I don't know what it was like for you, but it seemed like in order to be allowed on the stage to tell your story, you had to have a crazy story. There, you probably needed to be a drug dealer. That would help, right? If, if you were, spent some prison time, that was a good thing. Probably not killed somebody, but, you know, close to it. Just, the, 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 more, the more upended your life had been, the better chance there was going to be that you were going to get to stand up here and tell this sordid tale, and then at the end say, Jesus. <laughs> now, I, I, I'm being sarcastic because the reality is those, are, those stories are amazing and, frankly, were very formational in my life, and they still are. Maggie and I still have these conversations where we look at people who are in our lives and we go, is there no clear testament to the fact that God is active today? Right? But the reality is, the reality is, when we get so enamored with those glamorous stories, we miss the gospel opportunities around us. We see these massive, crazy things that have happened in other people's lives, and we miss the fact that we have a neighbor right next door or a roommate down the hall. We, we miss these beautiful, maybe smaller, maybe more hidden gospel opportunities in our lives. And so this is where Priscilla and Aquila become incredibly helpful for me. It's because here are two ordinary people who had amazing and extraordinary opportunities to live out and demonstrate their faith in Jesus can we put 1 Corinthians chapter 1 up on the screen? Do we have that? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse chapter 1, verse 26. There we go. This is, this is why it's so important that we realize that the gospel is for ordinary people. This is how Paul puts it when he's writing back to the church where he first met Priscilla and Aquila. Brothers, uh, in other words, church, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. Clearly, Paul's not trying to butter anybody up. Paul's getting at the essence of the gospel. God chose you exactly how you are, exactly how you were. The lowly, the foolish, the weak. Priscilla and Aquila aren't just a nice add-on by Luke. They are a flesh and blood, tangible reminder that the gospel of Jesus is God's action of reaching out to ordinary people so that the extraordinary love and power of God can be made known. When we get this backwards, when we focus only on the big, the glamorous, the amazing, we're missing the essence and the heart of the gospel that you and I matter to God exactly how we are right now. I'll, I'm going to confess to you and tell you that pastors are sometimes the worst people at this kind, about this thing. Like, like you talk to pastors or you go to a pastor's conference and it's like, if there are any famous pastors or Christian leaders in the building— like, all the other pastors are just, like, huddled around them. They just want to talk to the famous Christian people. 
You, you ask a pastor, who's the most influential Christian in your life? And it's often like some big name pastor who's got a TV show or a radio thing or mega churches or multi thing. You get my drift. I'm going to embarrass Pastor Michael here. Because he's not like this. Pastor Michael the other day posted on his, on his Facebook uh, a note. And it was a note about 25 people who had impacted his life. And your pastor, if you were to look at this note, you, you probably wouldn't recognize any of the names on his list. Not famous people, not glamorous people, not people with their own television shows. Ordinary people, but who, 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 who Michael encountered the extraordinary gospel of Jesus through, who have impacted his life in amazing ways. So our time looking at Priscilla and Aquila today is not a nice add-on. It's not like a little sidebar to the real action. This is the real action. The gospel of Jesus for ordinary people. So we need Priscilla and Aquila today to remind us that the gospel is great news for single parents who barely have time to pray. The gospel of Jesus Christ is great news for high school students in our city who face long commutes and dangerous corners just to get to school. The gospel of Jesus is extraordinary, amazing news for those addicted to booze, to drugs, to porn, to approval. The gospel of Jesus is extraordinary news for ordinary people. So I want to show you five different ways that this plays out for Priscilla and Aquila, or four or three different ways, depending on the time. As many as five, as few as three. Number one, number one. Let's put number one up there. Extraordinary gospel is for ordinary people whose lives are out of control. Priscilla and Aquila have been forced to leave home. They've had to sell their business. They've had to leave their community and their friends in Rome. Their lives feel incredibly chaotic. It's possible that both Priscilla and Aquila are Jews, but some scholars believe that Aquila was a Jew, the husband was a Jew, and Priscilla was actually of of Greek descent, Greek ethnicity. She was a Gentile. I'm not totally sure. I kind of lean in the way that this was maybe a multi-ethnically blended family. Seems possible to me. And so I wonder, what was it like for them to kind of stand out already, but to have built a community and a, and a safe environment for, for their family now to, to be forced to, to move to another city? What's it going to be like for us there? Will we be accepted? Will we be safe? Will we stick out like a sore thumb? Their lives felt out of control. I don't think it's a stretch for most of us to imagine what that feels like because many of us are feeling that right now. I grew up, some of you know, I grew up in South America. My family lived in South America. We moved fairly regularly. Never lived someplace more than two or three years. And every time that we moved, that was the question. Am I going to fit in? Will I be accepted Are we going to stand out? This is Priscilla and Aquila. Their lives feel out of control, chaotic. And frankly, they are. They don't have a say in their lives. Someone else is telling them what to do, where to go. They have been reminded in a very tangible way that within the Roman Empire, Caesar is Lord. The Pax Romana, the Roman peace is enforced by the Roman sword. And at the end of the day, when Caesar says go, you go. You have no control. And yet, despite of this fact, despite of this fact, Priscilla and Aquila reach out to Paul. They they give Paul a job. Despite of the fact their lives are out of control, they notice Apollos. They invite Apollos into their home. They disciple, mentor, equip, and then send him. 
Despite their lives being out of control, they participate and lead probably pastor two or three churches in two or three different cities. Hear this very carefully. The mission of God will not wait for you to get your life under control. The mission of God will not wait for you to get your life under control. Some of us, some of us in this room, we're putting things off. Hey, I'm a student right now, but once I graduate, then I'm going to take seriously the gospel call in my life. I I, I just graduated. I'm just getting into my first job. I got to kind of get settled into a career. Then, 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 I'll allow the gospel to be priority in my life. Once I'm married, once I have kids, once I've settled down, my life feels too out of control right now, but the mission of God will not wait for you to get your life under control. The gospel of Jesus is made known not in spite of our circumstances, but through our circumstances. See, it wasn't that Priscilla and Aquila did amazing things for God, saw the gospel do amazing things in them despite their circumstances. It wasn't that they experienced the love and the passion of God despite their lives feeling out of control. It was in the very circumstances that felt so out of control that the extraordinary gospel was lived out. Not despite, but through their lives feeling out of control. Does that feel like a stretch for anybody? We we don't like this idea, I don't like this idea, that the gospel of Jesus is going to be made known in the midst of my out-of-control life. I like control. I like plans. I like knowing what's going to happen. That's how I want the gospel to be lived out. And the example of Priscilla and Quilla for us today is that, nope, 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 we don't get to choose. The gospel of Jesus is going to be lived out through our circumstances, whatever those may be. And, And I have a hunch that for most of us, Most of the time, our lives don't feel in control. And this is where the extraordinary gospel of Jesus breaks through. Because what what initially appeared to be an out-of-control existence eventually led to the Apostle Paul reflecting back on Priscilla and Aquila's life, saying, all of the Gentile churches in the world are indebted to them. In his greetings at the end of the book of Romans, Paul says, we are all, all of the churches are indebted to the lives of Priscilla and Aquila in the midst of, through their out-of-control circumstances. The extraordinary gospel is for ordinary people whose lives are out of control. Is that good news to anybody? Man, is it good news to me. I can't remember the last time my life felt under my control. Number two. The extraordinary gospel is for ordinary people who are not in full-time ministry. Anybody say amen to that? I know we all know this. What, okay, let me say this. What, what do I mean by full-time ministry? Because maybe that phrase isn't familiar to everybody. Um, full-time ministry generally refers to people who, who, like, their career has to do with ministry stuff. So pastors, you know, intervarsity people, young life leaders, missionaries, you know, people who, who spend the bulk of their time on ministry stuff, they're in full-time ministry. Um, less charitable phrase would be professional Christians. Um, I don't want you to use that on me. Don't use that on me. But I've heard it. The extraordinary gospel is for ordinary people who are not in full-time ministry. Priscilla and Aquila are business people. They're not pastors. They're not missionaries. They're not campus workers. They're business people, and they're good at it. They have a business in Rome. Scholars say it's likely that they they hired a manager to manage their business when they moved on to Corinth. They started a new business in Corinth, probably hired another manager, started a new business most likely in Ephesus. 
by the end of this deal, they are literally like a, a multinational corporation. Seriously. In that day, that's what was happening. They were good business people, savvy, smart, good managers, good leaders. They were good with their resources, with their money. They had to be somewhat wealthy in order to host different churches in their home. They had to have a home that was, and I'm not just making this up. Scholars say they had to, they had to be wealthy enough to purchase a big enough home where they could host some of these larger growing churches in Rome and Ephesus and Corinth. They were business. They were not full-time ministry people. They were business people, and they were really good at what they did. Why am I pointing this out? Because some of us, some of you, look to the people who are in full-time ministry to do the real work of the gospel, and you need to stop. Because what happens when we do this is that we wait. The Holy Spirit of God prompts us, nudges us, leads us, and we wait. I'm just a business person. I'm just a stay-at-home parent. I'm just a nurse, a student. I'm not Pastor Michael. I'm not Pastor Peter. There's a young man who came up to me from our church a couple months ago, and he said, you remember when you talked about human trafficking? I said, yep. He said, I cannot let go of that. He said, the, the Spirit is doing something in my life, and I've tried to forget that. I've tried to set it aside, but I can't. And so we talked, we prayed. I said, can you check into some things? He did, came back. We talked, we prayed. He went and did some more homework. He came back. Pastor Michael and I sat down with him. We talked, we prayed. Our our church now is taking baby steps, saying, how could God use us to confront this reality of human trafficking in our city? Do you know why we're taking these baby steps? Because this young man, who, by the way, is an accountant, said, the Spirit is doing something in me, and I I need to be obedient to that. He wasn't going to sit around and wait for someone in full-time ministry to take the lead. Second thing that can happen if we're just looking to the full-time ministry folks to do the real work of the gospel is that we downplay the work of God that's already happening in us and through us, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, I'll never forget this meeting I had with a woman at the last church where I served at a number of years ago. She was a stay-at-home mom, and we were meeting, and she said, uh, I, I just asked what was going on in her life. She said, well, I've started a, a Bible study in my neighborhood for other, for other women in the neighborhood. Oh, great. So how many folks are coming? Ah, about 20. Oh, cool. So these are like women from other churches? No, no, no. They're most, they don't know Jesus. Oh, Some of them are coming to know Jesus. Oh! It's gotten so big I have to hand it off to somebody else. I'm going to start a new one so it'll be like 40, 50 women. She goes, but it's not an official church small group. I'm like, and? She said, well, it's not, you know, it's not like real ministry. I'm just doing it, you know, out of my backyard. When, when, we, when we only look to those in full-time ministry for the real work of the gospel, we miss the fact that God is at work, active, doing amazing things, providing amazing opportunities in our lives right here, right now. And Priscilla and Aquila, they're our antidote to this. They're business people, and yet they constantly said yes to the Spirit's leading in their lives. And at the end of their journey, they look back and said, We would have never imagined that this is what God would have done through two ordinary business people. Not only is this gospel for everyone, this gospel that you and I believe and confess is an invitation for everyone to participate in the work of God. Be encouraged, Christian. God has mission for you Whatever you do, whoever you are. Number three. Number three. Yep, number three. The extraordinary gospel is for ordinary people whose lives are being transformed. I think there are some who might say that Priscilla and Aquila simply got caught up in a movement. They they, they met this charismatic leader, Paul, and they just couldn't help themselves. They got caught up in something that was exciting, that they felt passionate about. 
But, but I, I think if you, if you go in that direction, you downplay the fact that their, their very lives had been transformed by the gospel that they confessed. How do I know this? Well, we see them living out their spiritual gifts. Remember, they're business people. They're good at the business thing, but we also see them exhibiting great spiritual discernment. Here comes Apollos. We'll talk more about him in a second. This charismatic leader, great teacher, Priscilla and Aquila, they're they're not impressed. Yep, God's doing something, but you know what, Apollos? You're you're missing some things too. So why don't don't you come over to our place? let, Let us fill in some of the details for you. They're great teachers, apparently. Not just business leaders, they're great teachers. They host these churches in their home where people are being equipped and discipled for this new life in Jesus that was a brand new experience for most of these folks. They exhibit great Christian leadership. You might call it servant leadership, where they, 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 they lead these churches in these three different major cities. The Holy Spirit of God is clearly at work transforming their lives. But here's the thing that I think stands out to me the most. Their humility. I know enough about you kind of entrepreneurial business type people out there to know that humility is not your number one thing. Right? Just admit it. You know it. That's okay. Here, here are two entrepreneurs who start businesses literally around the world, hire people, uh, uh, get different people to manage their businesses, expand their, 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 their global presence. Incredible humility. Never looking for the limelight, never wanting to s- step into the spotlight, but instead pushing, hey, Apollos, I think God's calling you. Paul, what can we do to support you, to encourage you? This, this is the work of God. Their lives are being transformed because I don't think this is a natural instinct for them. They were used to being in charge and control at the front of the line. Let me ask you this. How do we think about the gospel? Some of us came up in an environment, if we came up in a church, where the gospel was primarily about salvation, a ticket to somewhere away from somewhere else. I'm being crass, but you know what I'm saying. Others of us come to Christianity with this notion that we're joining a movement. God is doing something in our world that's exciting. I want to be a part of it. I'm in. There's elements of truth to both of these, but both of these are inadequate understandings of the gospel. And Priscilla and Aquila show us very clearly that their ordinary lives were being transformed from the inside out by something extraordinary. Let Let me show you how this how this plays out. A Colossians, can we put the Colossians verse up there? Colossians chapter 1. Chapter 3, I'm sorry, verses 1 through 3. Again, this is Paul. So he writes this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. What's your understanding of the gospel? Is it a ticket somewhere? Is it joining a movement? Or is your understanding of the gospel that you died? When when you said yes to Jesus, your old life died. And you were resurrected into new life in Christ. And Paul says you are now hidden in Christ. You guys, this is really significant for us. If we water down the gospel to it's just this like thing that we believe, or if we kind of accommodate the gospel in a way that it's a movement that we're excited to be a part of, our lives will never change. When we say yes to Jesus, we die. Paul says we have been crucified with Christ, and we don't live anymore as we did before. And the good news, the beautiful news of the gospel is that we are also raised to new life. 
the life we were intended to live, new life in Christ. The extraordinary gospel for ordinary people is that transformation comes through this gospel. Some of us are in a position where we're wondering, why don't we look any different than we did last year? Why am I the same person that I was five years ago? Why is that same sin still so prevalent in my life? Maybe your gospel's too small. I think what Priscilla and Aquila show us, that what we see in their lives, is that when they said yes to Jesus, and believe me, if they encountered Paul, that was the gospel that they heard. They understood that their lives, their old lives, had to die and be resurrected in Christ. Can we put up the quote from Dallas Willard, please? This is, what he, this is how he puts it. Life in the kingdom of God is not something we do, like investing in the stock market or learning a language. It's not something that we do that allows us to reserve dominion over our own life and use the kingdom for our purposes. We have to surrender the inmost reality of the self to God as expressed in Jesus and his kingdom. We cannot use it while holding our innermost self back from it. Some of us are using the gospel for our own purposes. Some of us are using the kingdom of God for where we think it can take us, what we think it can do for us. And what does Dallas say? What does Dallas Willard say? We have to surrender the inmost reality of the self. This is, this is his way of saying what Paul says. We have to die in order to live, in order to be transformed. And here's the beautiful, wonderful news. That transformation is not just for the spiritual mystics, not just for the ancient saints, the desert fathers, those who hold themselves up in a monastery. Spiritual transformation is for all of us. This is, this is the beautiful gospel as shown in the lives of Priscilla and Aquila, that life change is for you and for me. If you're not a Christian, if you're a seeker after God, I hope you understand how good news, how great news this is. There is not a spiritual hierarchy in the kingdom of God. There are not the super spiritual people who get all the good things. This kind of life transformation, lives that are more caring, more just, more creative, more, more selfless, more passionate, are available for all of us, for all of us ordinary people. Number four, the extraordinary gospel is for ordinary people who want to change the world. I've hinted at this a couple times already, but let me just say it again. Paul, who we have looked at so closely as one of the primary shapers of early Christianity, Paul looks at Priscilla and Aquila and says, the, the church was dependent on these people. The church is what it is, grew like it did, changed lives the way it did because of their lives. One example of how this played out is in the life of Apollos. Apollos was from Alexandria. Anybody know where Alexandria was? Just say it. Egypt, right. So he comes all the way from Egypt. Alexandria at this time, known as, as the center of the universe for knowledge, wisdom, lots of universities. Uh, Apollos had likely been schooled in rhetoric and logic. He was a great speaker, a great teacher, clearly very charismatic. Now, here's my sense. If Apollos showed up today, if he preached today, if you had a chance to, 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 to hang out with him today, you'd want to be associated with him. You'd want to be in his entourage, put it that way. Because this guy's clearly going somewhere. There's big things ahead of this person. 
And if you want to go somewhere, stick close to Apollos. Hang on to his coattails because you're going to get somewhere as well. What do Priscilla and Aquila do? Like I said before, they're not impressed. Brilliant, great rhetorician, uh, uh, incredibly charismatic. Okay. What do they do? Apollos, let's spend some time together. Apollos, you only know the baptism of John for repentance of sin. You, you haven't actually heard of or experienced baptism into Jesus Christ, death to sin, and new life hidden in Christ. Apollos, you have some things to learn still. Apollos goes on to make incredible impact for Jesus in churches. We, we, we learned just even at the end of this passage that he's a great uh, 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 apologist, great debater. He's able to show that Jesus Christ is really the Messiah of God. I don't think Apollos would have done any of that had it not been for Priscilla and Aquila. Paul looks back on his life and he says, these two individuals, this married couple who very few people probably have even heard of, made all of the difference for the churches around the empire. The gospel is for you and me, people who want to make a difference in our world who want to see our schools and our neighborhoods changed. Let me tell you how I'm seeing that play out in my life these days. It's through our Bronzeville church. There's a number of members of the launch team here this morning, and they'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think any one of us who are planning to start this church in Bronzeville would say, that we are extraordinary people. I don't think any one of us would say we're above average. The people that God has brought together to help start this church in Bronzeville are, no offense, ordinary. And I'm the chief ordinary person among them. Maybe below ordinary. But to see the dreams that are being dreamt by this group of people, to listen to people's passion and desire to see God do unbelievable, miraculous things in Bronzeville, in Bridgeport, in Hyde Park, throughout the city of Chicago, to to listen to how people are planning. Here's how we want to organize ourselves. This is how we're going to worship together to demonstrate to this neighborhood and beyond that Jesus is on the throne, that the tomb is empty. This is how we want to be involved in the lives of children in this neighborhood. This is how we want to partner with people who are doing amazingly good work. This is is what we want to be a part of. To hear these kinds of stories bubbling up from incredibly, again, no offense, ordinary people who want to see the neighborhood, the city, the world changed. Well, how do you explain that? It's not idealism. It's way more profound than that. People coming together to start this church plant, people, are convinced that the hope of the world is in an empty tomb. Are convinced that lives and neighborhoods and families and schools and cities will be changed because Jesus Christ was victorious over sin, death, and evil. The people coming together to start this church plant believe that we have one thing to offer the city of Chicago, and it's Jesus. Now, how creative can we be about that? How bold can we be about that? How many risks can we take for that cause? Extraordinary gospel is for ordinary people who want to change the world. Very last one here. Very last one. Look, we did it. Number five. Awesome. Jillian, you want to come on up? Number five. The extraordinary gospel is for ordinary people who worship a new king. I recall back to the beginning of our story. It was the emperor. It was Caesar who told all the Jews that they had to leave their home. Priscilla and Aquila very much experienced the fact that they were not in control of their lives. They very much experienced the fact that Caesar was lord of the empire. 
There's no question. And yet, and yet, they chose to live as if Caesar, afterthought. We worship a new king. I think this is one of the things Luke does throughout Acts, is he likes to set up these juxtapositions where he, it looks like these people are in charge. The religious leaders, they're the ones with the authority. Oh no, but the Holy Spirit of God is present and working. Herod seems like he's in control. He's going to execute James. Oh yeah, but then he dies and is eaten by worms. And the gospel goes on. Caesar, emperor of the entire world, issues a decree. You have to leave. You're now refugees. Yeah, but look what happens. Look what God does. Look at how the kingdom of God is advanced in less than 10 years through two incredibly ordinary business people. The extraordinary gospel for ordinary people who worship a new king. Who's your, who's your king? Who's your Lord? Because you might have a boss who thinks that he's Lord and king of your life, but you worship a new king. You may have a school administrator who thinks that he is Lord over the lives of your children, the students you teach, but you worship and serve a new king. Your abusive parent may have acted as if they were the king, the Lord of your life, but you today worship a new king, a liberating, healing king. The the very circumstances of some of our lives today feel as if they are in control, as if they are Lord, as if we have nothing to say but we worship a new king who desires to advance his purposes through your circumstances, whatever they are. When we think that only the Christian elite, the Pauls and the Peters, get to experience all of the implications of the gospel, when we believe that it's only the elite that get to experience the fullness of the gospel, well, we're believing an ugly, destructive lie. Because what we see in Priscilla and Aquila is that the extraordinary gospel is for you and is for me, for incredibly ordinary people. Not only is it for us, it demonstrates the very essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God reached out to the foolish, to the weak, and that is us. And through us, through the ordinary, the extraordinary love and power and mercy and victory of Jesus is shown. Church, can you imagine if we were, if we were this kind of church? If, if, if we allowed the extraordinary gospel to really burst out of our lives, our very ordinary lives, Would there be any greater witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ than a group of ordinary people living in extraordinary ways? Would there be any greater witness to the gospel of Jesus than a bunch of ordinary people whose lives have literally been transformed, who have died and been resurrected into Jesus? Would there be anything more compelling to our city, to your friends, to your family, to your neighbors than that kind of a witness? People who would show up and go, I've never met a group of more ordinary people. How is it possible? I mean, you all are average at best. How is it possible that God has done this? How is it possible that this kind of passion, this kind of insight, this kind of strategy, this kind of selflessness exists? Oh, we have this extraordinary Savior who's transformed us. Let's pray. Let's pray. The only reason that I have any courage to stand and to speak is because of this message. 
the only reason that I can say these words, that I can stand in front of you and challenge you is because I believe this. Uh, I know my ordinariness. I know how average, below average I am. And yet I also know of the extraordinary God who lives in me. So Heavenly Father, I pray for I pray for us. I pray for our church. You help us to be a people who can revel in our ordinariness. A people who doesn't have to pretend to be something that we're not. Lord, would you make us the kind of people that rejoice and celebrate and boast in the fact that you're doing amazing, incredible things in the lives of such normal people. God, we thank you for the witness of people like Priscilla and Aquila who in their very ordinariness demonstrate how beautiful, how powerful, how compelling, how life-transforming is the gospel of Jesus. Would you make us into that kind of a people, God? Would you allow our witness to be one that's not glamorous, that doesn't point to ourselves, that doesn't lift ourselves up in any kind of a self-serving way? Would our witness instead be one of the miraculous presence of God in our lives? God, I want to pray for those today who are struggling with this, who feel uh, so beat up, who feel so just knocked down, that they're having a hard time imagining that your gospel can be so powerful, so beautiful in their lives as to be so compelling to those around them. Oh God, Holy Spirit of God, would you lift them up? Would you remind them that we boast not in ourselves, but in you alone? Would you use whatever is happening in our lives, whatever circumstances, whatever thing that feels so out of control, you use these things, God? Would you use us not in spite of those things, but through these things in our lives, through these circumstances, through our pain, through our struggle, through our confusion? Be made known, God. Again, our simple prayer is that you transform our lives. And so we end with that, Lord. Whatever, whatever is keeping us from embracing this beautiful, transforming gospel, take it away. Turn us more into people like you. We pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.